I know I'm like, all I need is a loud microphone. And so, I, everybody hear me? Okay, I've tried to save every word on the way down here. Thank you, Smith had the ball game to listen to. So I was just sitting there, you know, in silence. We had a little bit of a date night surprise. Um, I had surgery back in December, and so I couldn't lift anything over eight pounds. We have an 18-month-old. That's hard, y'all. You can't change a diaper if you can't lift more than eight pounds. And so, guess who changed them all? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> these guys, you know, like, will they do everything for six weeks when I have spinal cord surgery? That's what you want to know. And so, anyway, we went over to the city grocery for our life. So we had a date night. My parents took the kids, and we're like, we might as well just went over to, you know, a nice restaurant. And we went out. I wore my Richard Schwartz collar, and we're sitting at a table, and we're eating a solid meal. I'm sure everybody around was like, who are these people? This is the weirdest date I've ever seen. But when you've been married for, you know, 12 years, you know, you don't have to say anything. We just look at each other and it's like, you're going to that office quote, weren't you? So, <laughs> know. And so, well, it's so good to be home with Wesley. I hope that you have found this to be home. If it's not yet, this may be your first time here. I didn't really get involved with the Wesley until my spring of my senior year. And so I've been in another campus ministry and another one. I just tried to find the right fit. And then I met my husband here. You know? And so, and I will tell you, getting your, your walk with Jesus where it needs to be is, is the most important preparation you can do for your career. And so getting my walk right with Jesus in college prepared me more than my biochemistry degree did. And that is the truth. And so this is now your time to find a home and grow. Just put your roots down. So, because we fell in love here, um, we were really homesick for Mississippi. Smith was in the Air Force, you know, with RTC at State. And so we had to move off to the Philadelphia area. We lived actually in New Jersey. That tells you how much I love him. And I love him more now. And so, and then we came back and, you know, medical training is forever and ever. And so by the time we finally could choose where we wanted to live, we wanted to come back to Mississippi. And so I left an academic career at Vanderbilt and we came home and I knew that there were children dying of type 1 diabetes complications in this state. So North Mississippi Medical Center, I went to interview and I'm still like, ah, I don't really know if I want to come and be all by myself, fresh out of fellowship. And then the CMO of North Mississippi said, well, you know, we've had four diabetes-related deaths in children in this year. That doesn't happen. Well, that doesn't happen in the developed world anywhere. And so um, I couldn't you know, sleep at night, so here we are. And so I felt very proud of myself. I felt like Queen Esther. You know, so for you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, my people, um, will arise from another place, um, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Coronation time. Like, I'm ready. And so I've got cousins with type 1 diabetes. So I'm from Belmont. They had to drive to Memphis and Nashville and all over the place to get medical care. And so here I am coming home ready. And so this people of honeymoon was over immediately. Like from the very second, it felt a whole lot more like, who knows, than such a time as this. Who knows if you have a plan for such a time as this. And so it was, it was pretty miserable. I mean, we got back here at a high-risk pregnancy, got put on bed rest, had a preemie. It was rough. Um, Smith was in a four-point rural charge. Um, I'll be Methodist know what that means. That means that he's like, the pastor and the secretary and the custodian and the and you know no nurseries and these long time churches and so I've got two little babies on the porch and there's dark daubers because the custodian slash my husband had a loss problem. And so and I'm not there I'm not really, you know, like progressing as I thought I was going to. 
And so here I am, and I was on call 24-7. I'm in labor, and I'm getting called. And the NICU guy, the, the NICU doctor who's like checking on my baby is like, you know, we've got this baby up there, and I'm already got an her doctor. And I'm like, I have a preterm baby in my belly. Like, give me a break. And so we were just going through all this, and it was, it was rough. It wasn't what I expected. And so then my mama was diagnosed with breast cancer. Aggressive breast cancer. And you're hearing words like 50 50 thrown around about your mama. So I was really angry when I was bitter. And I'm thinking, Lord, I have done everything right. I'm a preacher's wife. I came to Tucson, Mississippi, for such a time as this. I'm faithfully out there with the dark daughters and my babies and a pager. And we don't have good cell phone service and train on my phone, my phone, trying to figure this out. And so we were the only people who left Nashville in 2013, by the way. <laughs> and your poor brother is moving to Nashville, and you and I are going down to Mississippi, and I'm the only person on call for the whole hospital. And it was, it was tough. I was expecting a crown because I had done the right thing and I got a cross. So let me tell y'all, you know, I think that you guys are getting a different narrative than we got a lot in college. You heard this, you know, God has a wonderful plan for your life, and if you do everything right, you'll be so happy. I'm going to smoke a hot wife and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And so y'all would get a different narrative. I mean, I'm looking over at Chris McAuley, he's like nodding his head. He's got a smoking hot bag. That means like, I do have a smoking hot bag. Amen. You guys know, you guys know that life is complicated. The generation understands the complexity even very a lot more than I think that we were prepared for. And so, here I have my cross, and I'm dragging him around, I'm complaining. And so, and I remember that his burden is easy. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And so I'm realizing, like, I'm making this harder than it has to be. You know, I'm over here, like, just worshiping my own sacrifice instead of Jesus' sacrifice. Mm. I'm, not look, I'm not looking at him. And so one of the first numbers of how I hope I got was a, a chemo with my mom. And so here's my mom, who's a former kindergarten teacher. She's the nana that everybody wants to sit next to because, like, she brings the candy and the little toys in your purse. You know, so she's the lady of church you want to find. She's the sunshine. And so, you know, she, when she goes to chemo, it's no different. She's like bringing a strawberry cake for her oncologist. I happen to carry it because she's like weak, and so I'm carrying all this stuff in. And so she has um, all these books and happies that she was giving out to all her little friends in chemo. And so um, one of the books that she passed out was Anne Boss Camps One Thousand Gifts. How many of y'all read that? Okay, so great. Y'all go read it. And so um, this is one that you really, like, I think will enjoy. And so um, Anne is a... a homeschooling mom of seven um, who um, is married to a hog farmer. And so she's basically like a poet. Her, she's got a way with words by the end, but she's running from her hog farm. You're talking about blooming where you're planted. And she's not had an easy life. I mean, she, she's chronicling this, you know, um, you know her, she, her sister died in a really tragic accident when she was little. Her mom went to a psychiatric facility. And she's just weaving through all this brokenness and pain. And she's realizing that the way out is gratitude. And so, one of the other quotes from the book that I really love, she says, When service is unto people, the bones can grow weary, the frustration deep. Because, agrees Dorothy Sayers, whenever man is made the center of things, he becomes the storm center of trouble. The moment you think of serving people, you begin to have a notion that other people owe you something for your pains. You'll begin to bargain for reward, to angle for applause, stepping on my toes. When the, the eyes of the heart focus on God, and the hands are always washing the feet of Jesus alone, the bones they sing joy, and the work returns to its pure state, you grease them. The work becomes worship with energy and thankfulness. 
The work we do is only our work for Jesus and actions, like Mother Teresa. If we brought pray to work, if we knew that Jesus, we would do it for Jesus, if we do it with Jesus, that's what makes us content. The joy is always in the touching of Christ from whatever skin he comes to us in. So Eucharist. Y'all know the Eucharist is we call it here the Lord's Supper communion. The, the root word for Eucharist is Thanksgiving. And then the charis, anybody know what charis means? Anybody in Latin? So, or Greek? I don't know. It's one of those Don't ask me. I'm not even going to So charis, um, Greek, it means grace. And then kara means joy. So in the, in the root of communion, in the root of our relationship with Jesus, is thanksgiving and grace and joy. And it all pours out of giving thanks. And so, um, since I got you some Alexander Schneeman, so thank you. You're welcome. He says, Eucharist is the state of the perfect man. Eucharist is in the life of paradise. Eucharist is the only full and real response of man to God's creation, redemption, and the gift of heaven. So, I had built my life um, on Jesus since I was a little girl. I can't remember any time that I didn't love Jesus and want to serve him with everything I had. But instead of nourishing those roots, I expected to self-sustain with my own service and busyness and to be nourished with the recognition that I had sacrificed and that I was a good person. And so the truth that I had been taught started to feel stale. That doesn't last when the water gets hot, y'all. It just does it. And so... You know, rather than spending time with God in worship, I'm running around serving all the time. And guess what? We were created to worship. And we're going to worship something. And so if we're not keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, then we're going to get lost really quickly. And so I was, you know, really not finding the time to spend time in prayer and to spend time in spiritual discipline and to really apply all the things I was learning. I would listen to sermons. I was driving everywhere. And listen to sermon after sermon and trying to grow my head with knowledge. But y'all, that knowledge goes so far that you have to actually apply. It's like telling somebody who's thirsty, go read a book about water. You need to pick up and drink if you're thirsty. And so, you know, I really realized that what was missing was gratitude. And you can't have gratitude with self-pity. If you're feeling sorry for yourself, it feels just really hard to feel grateful. So that practice of gratitude pulled me out of that first really bad job in a better situation, best of all, in a stronger, more authentic relationship with God. And so it killed my self-congratulatory pride. So over and over again in Scripture, God tells us that we need to remember. And gratitude makes us remember. And so look every time we look in the Old Testament. How many times does he tell his people to remember? Yes. He names places. God will provide. Like that's why he had Abraham name the mountain when he carried Isaac up when he found the ram in the thicket. God will provide. If you look at Joshua 4, when he was bringing his people to the promised land, he says, When all the nations have finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take the twelve stones from here in the midst of the Jordan, the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and then bring them with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge. And so they're putting all these stones out where they cross. And he says, um, This will be a sign among you. And when your children ask in the time to come, What do these stones mean to you? You know, tell them the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant and um, of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be the people of Israel memorial forever. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Over and over, that's how he introduces himself. You will call this place Bethel. You will always call this place the Lord will provide over and over again. Count your blessings. Remember. 
And so in 1015, Voskamp is using post-it notes to keep up with everything, like jam on toast, the sound of um, her children laughing, you can name it, all the things that we have to be grateful for. And so every time that we realize all that we have, when the, word, when the world completely turns upside down, we can cling to the center and the creator of the universe. And so Romans 5, 5 says that our hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit has been given to us hope. Our hope is not disappointed. And so, speaking of hope, another book, um, if you haven't read, I mean, Boss Camp, she's a little bit kind of older than you guys. Do you know about Katie Davis? Anybody? Because it's okay. And so, all right, so you know, Katie has written another book called The Audacity of Hope. And so her first book is so idealistic, and she's 18, and she's moved off from her little rich suburb of Nashville, and she's adopted all these children, and she's doing really wonderful things. And then she really, the rubber gets the road, and she's losing friends to complications of AIDS and poverty, and really struggling. Um, she loses a foster daughter that she's loved, um, that's something that's really um, hitting home at the Lily House right now. We've got our 18-month-old a foster daughter, and, we're not sure we're having to hold her loosely, and it's, it's the hardest thing we've ever had to deal with. Um, and so she's going through all these terrifying possibilities, and all through the book, she, she starts getting post-it notes and putting them all over her house, and remembering all the ways that God has been faithful, and all the ways that God has been good, even when it doesn't seem like he, um, he has. She says, when we cannot find joy in our circumstances, we can find joy in God who is unchanged and unchanging. We can rejoice, not in what is going on around or within us, because God is our strength, and he will continue to give God sees you and me in our pain and in our brokenness. He sees you walking a difficult path and the sun goes down and your life is a far cry from what you expected or dreamed up. He sees you, dear friend, when the ending of the story is not the one you yearn for and your prayers seem unanswered and all this feels like a bit of a mess. He wants to name these places the Lord will provide. In the places where he thought life must be easier, when he thought that things might be different, when he thought you might be better, be more, God provides his son and meets you and provides grace for your gaps and light in your darkness. And so when you when, when the rubber hits the road, when things get hard, when you're you know having spine surgery and not going to lift your baby for six weeks, the way you get through that is through years of practice of gratitude. And so I'm not trying to Pollyanna you guys. And so if y'all remember Pollyanna, she's from the 60s, I'm sure you probably know. Okay, so I see I see that hand. So Pollyanna was a character in a Disney movie. She um, was an orphan, um, and she um, uh, would always find something to be glad about. She was, we'd call it the glad game. And so um, she inspired her entire time to optimism, and they surrounded her and cheered her back to her health after she fell out of her and was paralyzed. And then she goes and has the surgery, and then all of this better. I don't think that's really how any of that works, but it worked for the movie. So, um, but anyway, the critics loved the book, but the saccharine movie just didn't really resonate in the time of the Cuban Missile Crisis and in the time of um, the Cold War. But the thing is, like, our Christian hope is not the glad game. This isn't like, let's just be happy, you know, like, let's just find something to be happy about, find the silver lining. We have hope. Amen. We have real hope in His name is Jesus Christ. And so in Isaiah, surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. He was pierced by transgressions. He was crushed by iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him by his wounds were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We serve a suffering servant. Christ knows. He knows the depths of our suffering. He is with you 
is beyond just this, you know, happy, holly, jolly kind of, you know, like he's sort of there. He is with us. He is with you in organic chemistry. He is with you. When you get the skinny implant instead of the big one out of the mailbox, do they still do that? Like when you're applying places? It's not a Snapchat, is it? Don't tell me it's Snapchat. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I can't figure out. I'm not going to. But it's like, he's with you when you're disappointed. He's with you when the person that you love tells you, it's not you, it's me. He's with you in the ICU. He's with you in that horrible consultation room in the hospital with burned coffee. He is there at the graveside. He is there when your mother tells you, I got the biopsy results back today. He is with you when you face a pessimistic, hostile, and broken world. And so, going back to this theme bird verse, I love it. Let your roots grow down into him, let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong and the truth you are taught, and your overflows with thankfulness. Gratitude doesn't come out of thin air. This isn't parthenogenesis. So there's a zoology word. It's the first time I've used it since 2001. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but it, you have to start. It has to start with a seed. You have to plant it and nourish it and tend it. And gratitude is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it will be, and the more able it will be to carry you through those hard times that will be around the corner. And the more it will be to help you withstand your own success and still stand close to Jesus. God is faithful. He is near. He is no stranger to suffering. He knows the desires of our hearts who put him there. And so he never leaves you. He never forsakes us. And so I think the key's been standing for 10 minutes over there, so I better wrap it up. Um, I'm sorry. Um, but my, my biggest advice leaving, practice gratitude, follow hard after Jesus. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will never disappoint you. Everything else, smoke and mirrors. Instagram filters. It's going to be gone. And so everything else that, that, that will follow after gratitude. And so reject the cynicism that's all around us. Embrace Jesus. And then um, he is our hope and he will not disappoint you. I thank y'all for listening.